The following message, entitled, The Supernatural Power of God Revealed, part four of the series, O Church Arise, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 7th of February, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Father, thank you so much for your word that really is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us and that he has risen and that in him we have power, Lord. This passage today is about that power and I pray that you would reveal to us the immeasurable greatness of your power that is at work within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to mention a couple names and you see if you can figure out what these people have in common. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds. <laughs> I hear baseball, I hear steroids. Both are correct. And if I add some other names, I, I could add all kinds of names outside of the sport of baseball. It's not just baseball players who have been involved in ster steroid scandals, but a lot of professional athletes, even a couple that are playing later today, have been involved in steroid scandals or have been a lot of athletes at the top of their game uh, in whatever their perspective sport is, have tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs of some sort. Um, I, when I was in high school and college, uh, I used to, I, I competed a couple times, went to some weightlifting competitions, and um, I had never used steroids or any of those drugs, but I knew someone who was involved in some of these competitions who had. I don't know if you heard my opening uh, illustration or not, but I was talking about a, a guy I knew in high school and college named Nick who got involved with steroid use. And uh, Nick, over the course of a year, a year and a half, he went from a weakling to being able to bench press about 550 pounds and squat 600 pounds. He was like big, ripped, and solid. And steroids are, um, just to put it bluntly, for cheaters. Um, if you want to cheat in your sport, you'll use performance-enhancing drugs and steroids. And they are bad for your health. They are bad for your heart. They mess with your hormones. But the fact is, we, we can't overlook this fact that they actually do make people be able to do things that they couldn't naturally do. Now, people pay the consequence, and I'm not in any way promoting them, but I'm using this as an opening illustration because in our passage today, we're going to be talking about how God, through His power, enables us to do things that we could never naturally do. So my friend Nick, he wasn't natural. He was supernatural. He was lifting unbelievable weights that he could have never lifted naturally. And in the same way, God allows us to do without all the risks, supernaturally, what we could never do naturally. So there's a, a, a performance-enhancing drug, so to speak, for Christians. And I like to call it a sin-killing, joy-filling faith-instilling supplement that is 100% God-given, perfectly legal, and has absolutely no harmful side effects. 
That's what we're going to talk about today in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you want to turn in your Bible to where we're going to be, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This passage for us is going to answer about four questions. It'll answer many more, but I'm going to focus on four questions that we want to answer today. Those questions are, one, what is this supernatural power of God that we have available to us as believers? Two, where does this power of God, where is it hidden? Where does he keep it? Where do you get it? Three, what does the power of God do for me? In other words, what is this supernatural power that I didn't have before going to do for me that's different than the way I was before? And finally, how do I activate this power? How do I, how do I activate it in my life? How do I benefit from it? How do I use it? So this passage is going to answer these questions for us. And let's uh, start off by reading the first section of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And in this passage, we're gonna, it's, he's going to answer the question for us, what is this power? What is the power of God? 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. It says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the man who's speaking here to the Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul came pushing a specific message to the Corinthian church. And that's what he's telling them here. But it wasn't the kind of message that they were used to. Many people in Corinth, in that culture and in that city, were used to flashy, popular, fancy, sophisticated speakers with high words of sophisticated wisdom in their messages. And Paul's saying, that's not me. That's not, that's not God, is actually what he's saying. This reminds me of a church that I used to go to in the past, a church that I grew up in, a little country church. One time we were without a pastor for a while, and we had uh, some guys come in to preach, and there was this one fellow that came in named Brother Phil, and Brother Phil made an impact on me as a young man. And if you saw him, you would think, well, how did this guy make an impact on you? Brother Phil was, um, he was crippled. He was very small. He had kind of a, a hunched back. He had really thick, he had glasses that made his eyes look really, really big. Um, and he was uh, just a quiet little man. I remember he tied his tie way too long. It hung down like really far. And I, I can just picture him. And and when I saw him, I thought, wow, what is he going to talk about? When he, he could barely make it up the steps to get to the pulpit. And he leaned on it like this. And he looked shy and timid at first. And, and that reminded me of verse 3 where Paul says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. But I remember once Brother Phil got rolling that he wasn't loud, he wasn't flashy, but there was something about his message 
that was powerful. And it wasn't him. It was God. Brother Phil knew the Lord, and he knew the Word of God very well. And that stuck with me. That made an impact on me because I knew it wasn't Brother Phil. The Lord was speaking through him very, very powerfully back then. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here. Paul wasn't a fancy guy. Paul was, you know, just your average guy. But he had a powerful message. It wasn't about the style. It was about the message, not the messenger. And that's what Paul's saying here. So this passage where he says in verse 1, for example, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, but my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom in verse 4, but demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When, when it comes to God's speakers... I mean, whether it's a pastor, a preacher, someone on TV, or even you and I just speaking to people out in public about what God says in his word, it's not, it doesn't, we don't have to dress it up and really cheapen it with flashy, distractive things. It's kind of like what happened in uh, the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament whenever Elijah was up on this mountain and he he was in a cave, and God told him, go out to the entrance of the cave, and I'm going to speak to you, Elijah. And God, Elijah went out, and he, he went to the entrance of the cave, and he's listening for God. Now, what did God sound like? Well, the first thing that came to Elijah was, it says in the Bible, a mighty, strong, rushing wind that was so powerful that it broke the stones in pieces on the mountain. But Elijah said God wasn't in that. The next thing that came was an earthquake that shook the world and shattered it. It was loud. Nobody could miss it. God wasn't in that. Then a fire came. God wasn't in that. Finally, when God spoke to Elijah, what he heard God in was what? Do you remember? A still, small voice, a low whisper. And that's how God speaks so many times. Not to say that he can't speak through other means, but most of the time, God speaks through the humble and lowly. And that's what Paul's saying here. And it's because his message is so powerful. That's where the power is. We don't need anything to distract from that message. So what is this message? Let's look at our passage again, and let's look at verse 2. What exactly is this powerful message of God? Well, he makes it clear there in verse 2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is what Paul's been saying all along back in chapter 1. Joe preached on it a couple of weeks ago. That the power of God, he uses that phrase many times in this book, used it in chapter 1, the power of God is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, being the power of God... When he hung on that cross, God's power was manifested and displayed to all of us. That's how God, that's how, where God and his power met humanity, at the cross. And so that message of Christ and him crucified, the message of the cross, is the power of God wrapped up in one nice, neat message 
called the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's referring to here when he's talking about the power of God, Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did, that message. That message encapsulates the power of God. I think of a capsule, like a little pill capsule, because we don't need a steroid. We need a spiritual pill. And that spiritual pill is this power of God. And the way we administer that pill is by spreading the gospel. The way we receive that pill is by believing the gospel. That gospel message Paul's saying here is the power of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 makes it even more clear. If we could project that verse, Paul's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ here, and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, it, what? The gospel, that message about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's not to everyone. It's to everyone who believes it. So that's how we receive this power within us. We believe the gospel message about Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he's done. Now, I understand that not everybody believes this message. I mean, if we go out in the world and we say, you know, can I talk to you about Jesus to people, you're going to get, in my experience, probably more people who don't believe this message that do. Now, a lot of them will tell you they do, but then when you explain what it really is, I don't really believe that way. And so there's a lot of people who don't believe it. Now, why don't they believe it? Why do we believe it and they don't? That's a good question. I think one of the reasons is that it's kind of hard to swallow. Like, it's like, it almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? You just believe this message, and you get eternal life, and you get all of these other benefits that serve and these blessings in this life now. It sounds too good to be true for many people. I've talked to people who's, who told me that, that it sounds like one, it sounds like some late-night infomercial. It sounds like a, a sham. It sounds like some kind of quackery. And, and I was thinking about, you know, these old, I love these old-fashioned ads about these pills and these things that could do, they claimed could do so much for you that I wanted to show you a couple because I think this is how people think of the gospel. The first one, I really like this one, ambition pills for weak and nervous men. You just take these pills and you're going to be alpha male. And it even says, you don't have to read the fine print, but it says like if you have evil forebodings, which means like you're, you're just afraid of what's going to happen, take these pills, that's going to help you. It's going to make it all better. Or uh, snake oil, you know, snake oil. The gospel sounds like snake oil to some people. And this, I should go into this business if pastoring doesn't work out because this is made by pure rattlesnake oil. Uh, this is, yeah, cures all aches and pains. Then we've got, many of us have struggled with, you know, weight, and we want to lose weight. I don't know why we don't just get sanitized tapeworms, because you can lose five pounds a day, I think it says, and they're sanitized. They're not regular tapeworms. You don't want to take regular, but the sanitized pills are good. And, of course, cocaine tooth drops are great for your kids. So anything that hurts in your mouth or your teeth, uh, that'll help you. It's crazy, isn't it? 
<laughs> now, I think a lot of people think that the gospel is like that. Too good to be true. It's, it's just really too good to be true, and I think a lot of people feel that way about the gospel. But it is true. It is true. And it says, as we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it is the power of God, but only to all who believe. So the way we get this power is by believing this message, the testimony of God about his son, Jesus Christ. Now, most people think that when you swallow, not most, but a lot of people think that when you swallow this pill, when you believe the gospel, that really the only thing that does for you, it's like a get out of hell free card. Okay, you get out of hell. You know, you don't have to go to hell. You go to heaven. You have eternal life. And though that's true, and that is a huge blessing, it's not the only blessing. You know, just like the snake oil cured everything down to cuts and bruises, the gospel helps us now in this life. It's not just for eternal life. The moment you believed the gospel, your eternal life starts the moment you believe. And you get the benefits. Ephesians tells us we get, we get every spiritual blessing that moment, the moment we believe. We're going to talk more about that as we get down into some of our later points. But let me just show you one from last uh, two weeks ago when Joe preached through chapter 1. Look at Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30. This tells us, now the power of God is Christ, and this tells us, and because of him, you are in Christ, because of the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What does that mean? That means that because you have the power of God in you, you have Christ in you, you have the wisdom of God in you, you have the righteousness of God in you, you have sanctification in you. Think of that. Sanctification, the process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. It's all there. We just have to learn that and work it out through our lives. This is kind of like when Joe talked a couple weeks ago about the Force from Star Wars. You remember how the young Jedi uh, had to learn how to use the Force? He had it. He, he had it in him. And he had all the potential in the world. He just had to learn to use it. Well, that's, that's our sanctification as Christians. We have everything we need for life and godliness in us already. And we need to work that out and learn how to do that. And I'm hoping that the rest of this message can help us to understand that, how that all works a little bit more. So, Paul then goes in verse 6 on to where is the power of God hidden? Where do you find this power of God? Where can I get some of this? Now, we talked about that, but Paul wants to make a point here. He says in verse 6 through 8, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's a secret, we see in verse 7, a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And Paul talks about the power of God and the wisdom of God being both Christ, they're, they're Christ. 
And so he's talking about this same power and wisdom of God here. And he says it's secret and hidden. So where, do you, where is it hidden? Well, it's hidden in a carpenter from Galilee. Just like Paul said at the beginning of this chapter, that he uses, God likes to use the humble to get his message across, the lowly to get his message across. He wrapped himself up, all of his power and all of his wisdom, in a humble and lowly carpenter from Galilee. And that, this power that we're talking about, this wisdom, is hidden there in Jesus Christ. Now, you might think, whoa, wait a minute. This, this, this power of God, this salvation, is so good. It's so beneficial. I mean, it's really the, the most important thing we need as humans. Why wouldn't God make it more evident? Like, why would... I think maybe you might think God needs a marketer or something. He needs a marketing agent. He needs someone who can, like, get this out there and, and make it appear, like, real, as good as it is. But God's not making use of that. He's not doing that. He's hiding it, Paul says, in a, in a, in a humble carpenter from Galilee and this ridiculous, foolish message of him dying on a cross. That's what Paul's saying here. To the other side... To the world, this is foolishness. This, is, this doesn't even sound like a good commercial for this product. Not that salvation's a product, but if it were, you might be thinking, what's going on here? Well, it's intentional. It's intentional. God wants to do it that way. See, in this passage, Paul's contrasting those who have received Christ and benefit from this message with those who reject Christ and don't benefit from this power. For example, when... In verse 6, when he says, yet among the mature, the mature there is, it, you might have the King James, it's, it's translated there, the perfected. All he means here, this word means completed. It means perfected. It means advanced. And what he's saying, these are the people who have received this message. In Christ, we have received his righteousness, his perfection. And so among those who have received Christ, the mature, we do impart wisdom, Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. See, verse 8 goes on to tell us none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And what this is telling us is that they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected him, and it tells us in many parts in Scripture it's because he, they expected some fancy, sophisticated, powerful, showy king to be the Messiah. And they thought, that's not God. They rejected him. And when you reject the man Jesus, you reject God. And you reject his power. And that's what they did. And so God made it this way intentionally. He hid this power in Jesus, not necessarily from the proud and self-righteous, though you could say that, but more so for us for his family, for those who would come to understand who Jesus is and believe in him. That's why he hid this power in Jesus. Here's a great passage that explains this better than I just did. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, that means covered over, it is veiled to those who are perishing, 
In their case, the God of this world, now that's Satan, we understand from other passages of Scripture. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So they can't see it. They're blinded. He goes on to say, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, now listen to this part. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So before believing in Jesus, we were blind. The gospel was veiled to us. But what happened? What happened to give us this power? Well, actually, it was God coming in and, as he says here, shining that light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ in our hearts. In other words, he opened the eyes of our hearts. He opened our understanding and revealed to us in our hearts who Jesus actually was and what he actually did. Otherwise, we would have never seen it because it's hidden in a lowly, humble carpenter. We needed him to do that for us. We needed him to reveal that for us. Now, the next question follows this. It's, what does the power of God do for me? In other words, how do, what, how do we benefit from this? What does this power actually do for us? Well, we talked about the first thing just a minute ago. He, it opens our eyes to see who Jesus is, to be saved so that we can have eternal life. But what else does it do? How is it like a, a performance-enhancing drug, a spiritual PED? Well, look at verse 9, the next verse in our passage. It says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this is a, a loose quote from the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Paul was writing this to the, the Corinthians. And what he's talking about here is he's saying back hundreds of years before the, Jesus would come, God has prepared something for, for his people that no one could even imagine. And that's the salvation that he's talking about here. He's saying you can't even imagine the benefits of this salvation, of the power of God that he's going to give people when they believe in Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, if we can have that projected, verse 3. What Paul's saying here to the Ephesians, well, let's look at verse 3 first, and then let's go, go on to a couple other verses there. In verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, now notice, that's past tense, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly places. So we have already received, you and I who are believers, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's already blessed us with this. He goes on in verse 17 to tell, he's telling the Ephesian Christians, he's saying, I'm praying for you. And here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would reveal this every spiritual blessing to you. I'm praying that you would understand it. Look at what he says in 17. 
He's praying that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Revelation, remember, it means revealing something, uncovering something. So some of this stuff is still hidden to us as believers. All of our lives are going to be spent growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and our understanding of him. And Paul's saying here, I'm asking God to, to, to reveal this, this power to you. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. See, Paul's saying, even though you've already had the eyes of your hearts enlightened and you believe in Jesus Christ, you need to have them enlightened more. We all need to have them enlightened more as to what this power is in our salvation that he's given to us. Paul's saying, I want God to reveal this in a bigger way to you. And so we all need a revelation of God's power in Christ. Look what he says in 19, the next verse. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. See, there is far greater power and potential in Christ in you, what what the scripture calls the hope of glory, than you and I realize. Far greater. We, we have so much more in us. The scripture, Paul goes on to say in chapter 3 that we have far more abundantly than all we can even think or imagine according to that power at work within us. See, that's part of growing in this Christian life. It's understanding that. It's understanding that power. And Paul says how this happens in the next verses. Look at back in the, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 on. He says, these things, okay, what things is he talking about here? He's talking about what we're talking about. All of this greatness, the riches and immeasurable greatness of this salvation and what comes with it. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows if person's thought except the the spirit of that person which is in him so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand so far we've seen revealed now we see understand the things freely given to us by God and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but by taught but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, that's the person who doesn't have God's spirit in him or her, does not accept the things of God, the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, we have God's spirit. And so we have this ability to understand these things. And we get them from the Scripture because the Scripture tells us these things. 
And so God reveals us, as we saw in verse 10. He reveals to us, verse 10, through the Spirit. Okay. We know, and we don't have time to look at all the verses, but Ephesians 1.13 would tell us, among many other verses, that we receive God's Spirit somehow at that very instant that we believe this word of truth, the gospel. So it's like the gospel is this capsule. You swallow it, you believe it. God's spirit is in you. And you have that spirit. It says you're sealed with that spirit. And it's, it says that we might understand these things. And that's how God helps us to understand these things, by his spirit. So, tapeworm pills might make you skinny. Alpha male or whatever they're called pills might make you... Uh, not worry about things. Cocaine drops will help your teeth. But this, this power of God will help us to do so much more than any medicine or herbal supplement or whatever you can take can give you. This is super spiritual performance enhancing, I don't want to call it drugs, but power here. So, the natural person, it says in verse 14, isn't able to understand this. They just, it just passes right through. That's why some people can hear these things. It goes in one ear and out the other. But we who are spiritual, Paul is telling them, are able to understand these things. We need supernatural power for this. So you might be thinking now, all right, I believe the word says, like you're saying here, Bob, that I've got this power. I do believe in Jesus. I I believe I'm saved. I, you know, I believe this, but I'm not seeing it. Like, I, where's this at? Why is it so difficult to bless my enemies and not curse them? Why do I get angry so easily? Um, why do I get caught in these addictions and I can't break free? Why, you know, why, why after I became a Christian was I doing really well for a while and I started falling into these sins again? Um, why am I not experiencing this abundant life? that I don't know, someone talked about this morning, maybe Lynn talked about it at the mic, why am I not experiencing this abundant life that Jesus says he promises to us if I have all this power? Why? <clears throat> That's our final point. How do I activate this power? Now, I want to show you something really interesting here at the end of this chapter. And I want us to look at verse 16, which is the final verse in this chapter, and verse, chapter 3, verse 1, because... In the original letter, there was no chapter breaks. Okay, there were no chapters and verses in the original letter. So the, the letter just goes on. And so it goes from verse 16 of chapter 2 <clears throat> to verse 3 of chapter 1. And look at these two verses together. Paul says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now he's making a strong statement of fact right there. He's trying to nail down what he's been telling these Corinthians. He's saying, hey, we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit is that connection. He is that connection, that, that, that messenger who is God that brings the power of Christ to us. We have that. We have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit of God. But he goes on in chapter 3, verse 1, and says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Now look, but I, brothers, okay, Nobody in the Bible that's not a Christian is called a brother. These people are Christians. Some will try to tell you they weren't. They were. He's talking to Christians here. And he says, but I, brothers, 
could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And we'll see throughout this book that the Corinthians had a lot of problems. They weren't acting like who they really were. They were carnal Christians. That carnal means flesh. And he's calling them fleshly here. He's calling them carnal. So he's making this strong statement that's true about them. And he's saying, but I couldn't address you like that. In other words, you, you weren't measuring up to who you really are. You weren't using that power that you really have within you. And he says, you have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Every one of us who is a believer here has this power in us. We have the mind of Christ. It's true. But the problem is, we also have the mind of our old self, which we won't be rid of until we go to be with the Lord. And so it's kind of like, this reminded me when I was reading this of a, a show that my kids used to watch, um, a cartoon called Word Girl, and there's this mad scientist on Word Girl called Dr. Two Brains. And, and Dr. Two Brains was doing this experiment one time, if I have, I think I have this right, and somehow a mouse brain shot up and somehow got stuck in his head, so he had a mouse brain and a human brain. And, and uh, the mouse brain distracted him all the time. My kids told me that every time he tried to do an experiment or some scientific thing, he just couldn't stop thinking about cheese. And so all of his experiments were geared toward creating like cheese or, or making a cheese-making machine, or they all turned out something to do with cheese. So we're kind of like Dr. Two Brains in a way, where, yes, we have the mind of Christ, but we also have our old mind. And so we can operate or function in either. Now, one is infinitely more powerful than the other. There's not even a contest. But yet we choose because it's just natural. It comes natural for us to operate in our own old human mind. And here's what happens. Every time you or I sin, every time, that's what we're doing. We're operating in the old mind because it's drawing us away from the mind of Christ. I was talking to a young man in the church about this Friday. We were just talking about this passage, uh, Isaac Rodman, and he thought of a a great illustration for this that I'm going to share with you. He said, I don't know how many of you have seen the Avengers um, or Marvel comics, but Captain America. In, in the Avengers movie, Captain America starts out as this scrawny little skinny guy, and he wants to save the world so much. He wants to do all kinds of great things, but he's just really scrawny and weak, and he, he can't get accepted into the military. So Finally, the scientist finds him and does this experiment on him and puts him in this capsule thing, this tube, and they inject him with something, maybe like steroids, I don't know, but something that makes him like super powerful and gives him superpowers. And after that, Isaac said, what if, what if Captain America, after he was Captain America, just went and sat on his couch and played video games and the world's crumbling and falling apart around him and he's not doing anything about it? That's exactly the situation here in Corinth, and that's exactly the situation in our lives when we're not using, activating this power of God in us. We, we have so much more ability 
when it comes to doing things for the Lord, when it comes to breaking out of bondage, when it comes to doing, living the abundant life that Christ promised us, that we're almost like Captain America just sitting there not doing anything when we could be out saving our own lives and the lives of many others. And Isaac, I don't know if you're here, but I thought that was a great illustration. That's re that really captures this well. That's what was happening. So how do we activate it? And I just want to end with this. Just a couple minutes here, and we'll be done. It's kind of like this. Because this power is at work already in us, because, because the power is Jesus Christ and him crucified, because that power, if you think of the power plant of all of this power, it happened, the pinnacle of that was at the cross when Jesus Christ was crucified. And that was applied to each of us. I know it's past, but somehow throughout all time, applied to each believer through the Spirit, as we've seen in this chapter. And we have that power in us. And so it's kind of like this illustration. If you're sitting at home this evening and you feel like you're not watching the Super Bowl, you feel like, I'm going I'm to read a book at 8 o'clock. Uh, it's dark. It's dark at eight. I'll have to get the lights on somehow. Okay. I'm going to call the power company. I'll call Penelac or whoever you have for your power company. Up. And um, <clears throat> so you call them up and you're like, hey, I want to read tonight at eight. Can you uh, make sure my lights are on in my house? And they're like, uh, what, what do you mean? You have power. You just have to flip the switch and they come on. You're like, oh, yeah, it's the same thing for us. We don't utilize, we don't actualize, we don't activate, we don't realize the power until we flip the switch. And I wish we had time to go into it because there are so many scriptures that tell us that switch is faith. That switch, just like the way you got saved. You didn't get saved by doing this, by pleading with God, give me this. You just believed and boom. That faith saved you. And the Bible says that just as we received Christ Jesus our Lord, so we should walk in him. Could we project 1 John 5, 4, Dave? I want to show you that switch that activates this power in you. 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Sometimes we just don't see it until we flip the switch. Here's the switch. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. See, Christ has already won it all. He's already done everything that needs to be done. If you have an anger problem, if you have an addiction, if you have a problem with envying and being jealous of other people, if you have a problem with not having self-control, if you have any of these problems that many of us struggle with, Jesus Christ has already overcome that in his righteous and perfect life and then he applied it to you and I when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And then the Spirit of God, this passage tells us, carries that to us and, and infuses or somehow injects that into us, somehow reveals it to us and empowers us. And the reason we don't activate it is because we doubt and we don't believe. We either don't know about it, which is, you know, that's a case. That's, that's often a case. Or if we do, we make excuses. 
well, I don't know, something's wrong with me. You know, I, I'm not sure why. It's just, I'm doubting. Jesus said, you, if you say to this mountain, move from here to there, it'll move. But if you have doubt in your heart, it won't. And so it's not really either about mustering up the faith. It's just about receiving what he's already done for us. And that's all we do to get saved. It's the same thing. Just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Every spiritual battle that we face, we fight by faith in him and what he's already done. That's why it's called the power of God and not the power of you and I. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us to understand this. Thank you, Lord, that we can claim the victory that's already been won by your Son. Help us to understand that we are not fighting for victory, but rather we are fighting from his victory. Your word says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I pray that you would reveal that to us more and more today so that we might be able to activate that power, your power, in our daily lives by believing in you and entrusting it to you, Lord. We want to appropriate that in different situations that come to people's mind right now, whether it's sinful temptations they've struggled with, whether it's the seemingly inability to have self-control in their lives, whether it's a relationship that you're calling them to go and, and just ask for forgiveness or to forgive, whether it's an addiction, whether it's whatever, you know. We pray that each one could, as we talked about this morning, cast these cares on you and look to you as their power. And as we do that, I pray that we would experience a life that is far more incredible and abundant than we could ever think or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.